Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see all of you, to be in worship together, to have shared time in baptism and prayer and all kinds of great things together already this morning. Uh, my name is Tracy Bianchi, and I serve as one of the pastors here on staff, and um, I'm going to lead us through what I think is now part five or six already in a conversation we've had over the past month and a half called The Other Six. And in a nutshell, the title sums up the idea that we have six days of a week beside the week that we spend in, or the day we spend in church. And so what do we do with the other six days of our week? How do we live as God's people? How do we take all the fancy theological things that we chat about at church and actually make them work in the real world the other six days of our week? And so that is the conversation that we've been having. And today, we're going to talk about how the idea of reconciliation fits into that conversation. What does it mean to be a reconciler or to be people who have been reconciled to one another and reconciled to God? It is no small topic. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, starts us on this discussion with these words. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them, and then come back and offer your gift. This, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So have any of you ever been wronged, injured, or upset, maybe the target of someone else's anger? Have you ever been cut off in traffic, shortchanged, Somebody cut you off in line. Have you ever been next to receive a prize or a promotion only to find out that somebody snatched it from you? Maybe you've been purposely ignored or forgotten, callously dismissed, offended, abused, injured, or you've suffered a deep and grave injustice. Most of us sitting here today know what it feels like to have been hurt, but what about the flip side? Have you ever abused your power? Have you ever clipped the deserved success of someone else? Have you ever said to yourself, no one will know if I do this. What could it hurt to gain this advantage? Have you ever overlooked, overworked, or underestimated another human being? Have you ever ignored, forgotten, dismissed another person, or flat out refused to do what is right? Have you ever looked across the room at a friend and raised that all-knowing eyebrow and then judged the other people who didn't catch that look? I've done these things. My guess is that you have done them too. Isn't this a fantastic way to start a sermon? Don't you all feel so good right now? Glad that you came here today? This is a hard topic I mean, Jesus is talking about a command that has the word murder in it. This is a heavy conversation. And we go through life, we break stuff, we break people, 
We are sinful. We are messy. We are argumentative, combative, forgetful, ignorant, and sometimes outright mean-spirited. So what does Jesus do with this? And what are we supposed to do with one another to make right the wrongs that we have committed against other people? And sometimes we don't even know we did it. We're just living our lives and don't realize how much just being us can injure another human being. And other times, we know full well what we're doing, and we choose to go ahead and do it anyway. Like I said, today's passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It is arguably the most well-known and famous of the messages that Jesus preached and taught. Religious leadership at the time of Jesus would say that a literal interpretation of the Jewish laws, the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law, that was what mattered. A literal interpretation. This today that we're discussing is the Sixth Commandment. So Jewish teaching would say, did you actually take the life of another human being before bed? And if you could say, no, I didn't actually murder somebody, then you were good. I mean, I think we can all agree murder is bad. Most of us have not taken the life of another human being before we fall asleep on any given day. So most of us can check that off the list. And at the time, what was important to the religious leadership of the day was not that there was a heart behind that command, but just that you were able to keep it. And if you could look at God and say, we're good, I didn't kill anybody today, then you kept the law. And with this commandment and so many others in this whole section of text, if you go read Matthew chapter 5, you'll see that they are there. Jesus is saying, that's not enough. That's not the point. The point of God's commands aren't that we check a box off. The point of God's commands is that we become better human beings, better to able, better able to love and understand one another because of the law. Just a few passages earlier, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law, to get rid of these laws. He says, no, I have not come to abolish them. He says, I have come to fulfill them. I have come to tell you the bigger picture behind them, the spirit behind the commands, to take them one step further, to understand that simply obeying them word for word does not get you the heart result that would honor God. And so Jesus basically says, you've heard it said that thou shalt not murder, but I'm telling you, don't be a jerk. Don't go through life spiteful and hateful, angry, Raka is the word he uses here. It's an Aramaic term that was used. It, does, it doesn't even have a proper English translation to capture um, the full meaning of the word, which is why it's not translated here in this passage. And the closest way to explain it is to simply say it was a word that was used in public discourse or community engagement when you really just wanted to upset another human being at the deepest level of their soul. If you wanted to throw something foul at them, and, and offend them deeply, you would choose this word. And Jesus is saying it's not enough not to just go home at night and say I didn't kill anybody today. If you've deeply offended them, if you choose to use language that betrays your hate, that is sinful. If you even dare to call another human being a fool, 
without understanding who they are and, and biting your tongue. He says, you know, you're in danger of hell if that is how you are going to act. Don't be a horrible human being in word or deed. Jesus here is on a pretty solid roll. And then he says, all of this that I say to you about keeping this command and not saying these things, he says, therefore, knowing all of this, therefore, if you come and bring your sacrifice to the altar, which is to say, if you come to church, and while you're there, realize it occurs to you that you've injured another person, he says, it is so important that you go try to make that right, that you leave your gift at the altar, and you leave worship, and go and find the person that it occurred to you you have offended and try to make it right. I mean, to worship at the altar for a Jewish person was different than it looks up here, but the heart of it was similar, and they didn't have guitars and a wobbly stage and confidence monitors up front. What they would do was bring a sacrifice, either financial or at this time, the sacrificial system would say you could bring an animal to sacrifice. And a Jewish worshiper would of their free will bring what they had that they felt right to give to God and they would bring it forward in their temple and they would give it to the priest. And the priest would then take that offering and go and make it right with God on their behalf. And Jesus is saying, if you come into the community of faith and into the temple of worship and somewhere in the songs, in the hymns, in the prayers, in the experience of worship, it occurs to you that you have wronged another person, drop the gift at the altar, go make it right, and then come back and finish up worship. Why is it so important to get it right with other people? I mean, it's very easy to make church about you and God. I pray to God, I sing these songs to God, and to be clear, we sing songs that praise and worship God. And there is a vertical relationship that happens in worship. There's a moment where we say, wow, I am little people of earth, and here is the big God of heaven, and so I praise you, God. But worship is not simply me and my direct connection with God. It is a horizontal experience. Worship is just as much about the horizontal expression of getting it right with the community of people that are here in this room and those beyond these doors in our communities, in our neighborhoods, and in our wider world. To worship God is to honor the greatness of who he is and to collect together and move in a direction of reconciliation the people that God has collected for us and with us and called us to. Even when those people are not the same age, life stage, generation, ethnic background, gender, whatever it is, if they are different from us, all the better, all the more challenging. But the call that God has for us is to make things right vertically and horizontally. And Jesus is saying, if you show up at church and you're all good with me, but you're not good with the other people in this world, Go and fix that. That is the invitation that we have to engage with on these other six days, these non-church days. I mean, what is reconciliation, though? It's this big word. It's a heavy, weighty word, not because it's a bad word, but because it's an exhausting process to reconcile one human being or one group of human beings with another. 
It's why we've been working for centuries and are still nowhere near done working on racial reconciliation and reconciling different nations and warring factions with one another. It is complicated and challenging work. It is more than walking up to another human being and simply looking at them and going, hey, I'm sorry. Sorry that, about that thing I did. Are we good? It takes more than a sorry. A sorry is just the very beginning. And what needs to be in a moment of reconciliation and the bigger and the beginning of it is, is, is the entry into a conversation. You know, my 10-year-old daughter right now is a spitfire. She is a piece of work. And when she opens her mouth and sasses at her brothers and I call her out on it and I say, you need to apologize, she does this. And then she, you can like, she like, like has this like monster-esque grunt that comes out of her. And she's like, fine, I'm sorry. <laughs> and the whole house is like, no, you are not sorry. You are nowhere near sorry. But you're going to be sorry for the trouble you're about to get in if you don't say you're sorry. And, you know, sometimes we think we're reconciled with someone if we walk up to them and be like, I'm sorry, but you still make me mad and I still don't like you. I mean, that, that is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is, in part, a conversation around forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. But it's about entering the life of another human being if they give you permission to do so. And to say to them, I do not know what it is like to be you, but I want to understand. And I want to understand how I can be a servant to you, how I can honor who you are and the story that you have, how I can walk with you in your story, how I can stop doing the things that I do that injure you and instead make right our relationship. Friends, this is what Jesus did for us. He came from heaven and said, you guys messed this whole thing up. You messed this up. This is not what I had in mind. And it is so broken that I, we, we are not going to fix this without some sort of divine intervention. So I, Jesus, I'm going to come down. And we're not just going to say, sorry, and move on. I'm going to walk the earth in your form and shape. I'm going to become one of you for over 30 years and walk the streets you walk and hear the stories you tell and sit with you at meals. And I'm going to understand the human experience. And then... I am going to speak into it and seek to make the future better. Because I, Jesus, walked as a human being and I understand more what it's like to be you. And we're going to say we're sorry and then we're going to fix the future. And we're going to enter into each other's stories to reconcile is not to erase the past. There's this sort of temptation, like, to make things right. You want to, especially if you've injured somebody, if I've injured somebody, I want nothing more than for them to forget the whole thing ever happened. How many times have you ever said, forget I said that? Just forget I said that. How many times has anybody ever forgotten what you've said in that moment? It doesn't happen. You already said it. You can't, you give me the words back. I mean, have you ever opened your laptop to find some project or presentation you were working on and it was gone, vanished. How did I delete that? Where'd the file go? 
And maybe you have to set about recreating it and you say, oh my gosh, I deleted the whole thing, but you never really delete the whole thing. And sometimes you can just find it on the cloud, but you can recreate it. You can find parts of it. You can put it together again. We cannot delete the past. And Christ doesn't come to delete every story we've ever told, every experience we've ever had. He comes to redeem, to enter into those stories, and then to talk to us about worship and honoring him and bringing us into his preferred future, which is how we honor him with the kingdom work in our lives. In Romans 12, Paul, who talks a ton about reconciliation as well, Paul says this about reconciliation. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. We cannot force reconciliation onto another person. We can own our stuff. And as far as it depends on us, we can make the step that God is calling us to make it right. But we cannot force another human being to respond. And some of you have been on the receiving end of that sort of force, and you're like, wow, I just need a minute <laughs> to process what's happening here. And that's okay. God's not saying that everybody has to accept your effort at reconciliation. But as far as it depends on you, what is being said here is you have a responsibility. I, we have a responsibility to make right our wrongs. So much of a responsibility that we should not even continue in our worship until we get it right. That's a big deal. Do you know what that means? It means that next week, either we are all going to change the world or no one's coming to church. <laughs> I mean, like, think about what Jesus is saying here. It is more important to get right your relationships with people, at least attempt it, before we even come back to church. The word reconciliation, the word to reconcile, has, of course, like so many words, many shades of meaning in the original Greek language. Its root word family talks simply about the idea of change or transformation. It implies that something essential, something foundational like a relationship has been broken and there is an opportunity to restore it. Some commentators suggest you could translate it by saying to change enmity or anger for friendship. And the word reconciliation is used throughout the New Testament, but the particular version of it that we have today is only found in this, in this passage, this, this particular translation of it. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul, Paul speaks to it again, and he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, and the old has gone. The new is here. He says, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which means the work of doing the same thing to God's people. That's ministry, is working with God's people. And this is what Paul's saying, because you've been redeemed, you now have the work of reconciliation before you. And again, like I've said a few times, reconciliation, this is a big word the nuances of which none of us fully 
understand. Otherwise, we would probably have a better world than we live in now. And it is complex and complicated. And you might be sitting here going, how am I going to do this during the week? And on the flip side, though, it can be astoundingly simple. I mean, reconciliation in many ways is actually stopping and daring to sit in the presence and look in the eyes of another human being and say to them, you matter. You matter. I don't understand you. I don't look the way you do. I don't vote like you do. I don't do all the same things that you do. I don't have the same world that you have, but you matter. And therefore, because you matter to the God of the universe and I matter to the God of the universe, we together have to figure out how to get along. And I have to own my offenses and grievances against you. Sometimes I don't really want to, but God tells me I have to. So let's try to figure that out. Let's embark on a journey together where we say to each other, you matter. Because the people around us, you know what? God loves them as much as he loves us. He sees them as much as he sees us, and he wants for them the same stuff he wants for us, goodness and justice and mercy and hope and healing and grace and forgiveness. So who are we to be the reason another human being does not have that experience of God? Can you imagine the power of the church of Jesus Christ around the world if Christians actually did this and sought to reconcile with one another and actually dared to say to another human being, you matter. Paul David Tripp says this. He says, the church is not a theological classroom. It is a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their faith in Christ, they gather to know that love, and they learn then to love others just as Christ designed. Reconciliation changes the narrative. A couple years ago, when my children, who are now teenagers and preteens, were kind of toddlers in early elementary years, I threw them in the car as I do every morning and got ready to back out of my driveway and take them to school. And our driveway is very, very long. We live in Elmhurst in this old rickety house with this driveway that goes way back that I think was supposed to be like an alley, and they just never built the alley back there. So it's a really long driveway, which is great when you're teaching your kids how to ride their bike. It's really a bummer in, in winter when you're shoveling snow. And um, if you know me, you might know that I, I don't always um, drive um, the way Jesus would probably drive. Um, <laughs> Just gonna be honest. Um, why not be honest? Um, I drive fast and, and silly, and um, and so I drive out of my driveway really, really fast because I'm always in a hurry, and we're usually late before we even get into the car in this long driveway. And I punch it and just zip backwards out of my driveway. And I always stop. I always stop right at the street. I know where to stop so that I don't bolt out into traffic and, and rear-end somebody, crash into another car. So one day, I got the kids in the car, and I'm, you know, backing out of the driveway. And all of a sudden, I hear, honk, 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 beep, 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 beep. And there's a car. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I know. You think I'm going to, you know, drive out and, and wreck your car, but I'm not. And instead of just driving past and honking, this person pulls over to the curb in front of my house, gets out of her car, and starts marching across my front lawn. And she's like, you, 
we're driving way too fast and swearing and cursing and all this other stuff. And my kids are in the car and I'm trying not to say things back because I have my children in the car. So I, I try to keep my composure and she's just going. And she's like, do you have any idea how fast you were driving? And I'm like, yes, I know how fast I was driving. I'm very sorry. And she got back in her car, slammed the door and drove off. You know how when somebody yells at you, you're, just, you're shaking. You're like, okay, that happened, okay. And 5 o'clock the afternoon, later that day, the doorbell rings. I'm at home. I'm making dinner, doing whatever we do at 5 o'clock in our house. And it's her. She's at my door. And she's like, do you remember me? And I'm like, yeah, I, I remember you. We go way back. Um, and, and she's holding a candle. And she gives me the candle. She's like, I was really rude to you. And again, my defenses are up, and I'm thinking, yes, you were. <laughs> and she starts crying, and she goes, this morning when I saw you, she goes, I was on my way to put my mom on hospice. And she goes, and my dad just died a few weeks ago. She goes, and I am about to lose both of my parents in less than two months. She goes, and you pulling out of your driveway was the last thing I needed to see. And then I'm crying, and she's crying, and we're hugging. And my husband, Joel's in the other room. He's like, honey, what? And I'm like, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We're in the foyer of the house hugging. I don't know her name. I don't think she knows mine. We never exchange names. The candle she gave me is quite possibly the worst smelling candle. <laughs> it's so bad. But I kept it. We call her the candle lady in our house. And she changed the narrative. She just changed the narrative. She didn't have to. And you know what? It was a driving mishap. Can you imagine if we did that sort of thing for like the real icky stuff that's like settling way deep in us right now that we don't even want to talk about? Can you imagine the power? Because she really changed something in me by just apologizing for honking her horn driving. Can you imagine the real stuff? Reconciliation, that first step toward another human being, it changes the narrative. That is what Jesus is calling us to. That is what we are called to do with our lives, to make it right with those we've offended, to find our way to forgiving those who have offended us. I mean, this is the Lord's prayer, right? Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the reality is this is the invitation we have. So this week, what are we supposed to do, right? How do I go home with this? Make an inventory in your mind. I mean, start just ticking off a little Rolodex of people who come to your mind and your heart. If there's a moment where you're like, oh, I got something there, think about it. Have you offended them? Is there a group of people you just don't understand that you've just dismissed callously because you just felt like it? Who are they? Who in your community or in the wider world do you just need to make right with? And some folks that you need to make right with, they may not ever want to talk to you. They may not even be living still. You can find a way to make peace with that. You can pray to God about that. You can write an apology to a person who you may never see. Find an inventory, a list, and just start praying that through. Who am I supposed to go and walk up to and say, hey, <laughs> I, I have wronged you, and I want to work on making that right. I'm sorry, but I want to go beyond sorry. I just want to figure out how to reconcile with you the way the God of the universe has reconciled me. That is a high calling, my friends. But it is the invitation 
of our scripture for today, and it is the word of the Lord. So we need to be about this. So good luck with that. <laughs> it's a lot to do this week, but the Lord of the universe wants you to do it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a big deal to right our wrongs against other people. So God, I pray for these brothers and sisters. I pray for myself right now, Lord. I mean, just show us what we've broken and lead us to a place where we can fix it. God, bring to our mind and our hearts the people that need to hear from us, the people that are waiting for us to reach across the gap to them and say, help me understand you. Help me honor you. Help me do right by you. Lord, and may we be people who do those things not so simply we can just go home and feel good about ourselves, but so that we can honor you, the God of the universe, the ultimate reconciler who reached the gap of heaven to earth so that we might be here today having these discussions and wondering these things. Lord, I pray for this amazing group of people. May we be your hands and feet in this world. Together, everybody's people, everybody said, amen. <laughs>